this is part two and now i'm going to assume you've listened to part one and so i thank you for that uh honestly it turned out pretty well in some decent reception and i really do appreciate it uh it, the ronin's gonna be a long running series and this is the middle part of the hair story and then we'll be traversing into the deers and after which it'll just go on and on and you'll meet a bunch of new characters but i mean i thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to this and i really do appreciate it so thank you ironwood after the attack both the ronin decided to take some time to recover and make some very sparse repairs to the unfortunate village that brief time allowed the hare's unit to heal after the surprise attack by the boar a few days back Alongside the elephant and with the natives' assistance, they gathered plenty of resources. After which it was then time to disembark on their next endeavor, to face the dragon. It was during dawn three days late of their planned departure time that the two samurai rode out from the kind but decimated village. The hare found herself in a much better position as several of the villagers in anger sought to join her roaming group of soldiers. However, Seeing as she didn't have enough equipment to supply them, they'd have to purchase it when they made their visit to the next suitable town. This issue was compounded by several others, as the changing weather would affect not only what equipment they did have, but promised to slow the carts and oxen during the fall and winter months as well. Maintenance of arms, armor, and equipment would be exhaustive and costly while on the move, and both leaders knew they would need to wisely use what time they had. You've got plans, Hare? The elephant asked, looking at the few leaves which had begun their transitional stages, of turning from the summer's green to the autumn's multitude of warm coloring, which masked the colder temperature's depths to follow. Ronan pulls his furs tighter around him as a cool breeze sweeps by, and it was the first time Uchikina saw him outside of battle or an intense beating that she realized. The elephant was an overtly happy man wanting only to prove himself. I think I shall play my cards close to my chest for the moment. As for you, Elephant? I shall finish documenting my philosophy before making my move on the Emperor. Perhaps I'll meet with the Pangolin or the Bear. I'm sure they feel similar to us. I'm sure we'll have plenty more of the Emperor's obstacles to overcome before then, though. Overly kind was the way Uchikina felt about the Elephant. He was optimistic in his reach and ambitious in his scope. But it was commendable. I plan on visiting the deer, Uchikina starts, as she feels compelled to continue the conversation. Rumor has it he was last seen training in the Kaga province. He's in close proximity to the Emperor, and I'm sure he's been made aware of the hierarchical change. The hare then pondered which of the many samurai contracted under the dragon would they send after him. The deer, as powerful as he might be, was a pure soul, unlike much of the other company the dragon had kept. No doubt he was still operating under the ideals of his former lord. And if he's dead? The samurai says without skipping a beat as he continues smiling at the trees. It was not like the man was any less sincere about his remarks about the death of an ally, just because he was wrapped in thought. Then, uh, perhaps I'll meet with the fetid rat. In Sado? No, that's about three provinces away. He might be dead by then as well. Hare. You may not always have an ally, my friend. Sometimes it might be best for your army to face the battle alone. 
You and I both know, with the size of those who have pledged their allegiance to him, his armies are tenfold our own numbers. As it stands, we are incapable of successfully combating them. Then we will die. But is that so bad? <laughs> he chuckles to himself. During the few battles that the two had interacted with one another, Bear had made some fascinating observation of the warrior's mindset. When the elephant faced opponents close to the shores, he'd often stare out into the ocean, ignoring the gunfire, arrows, and sparking blades around him, reminiscing about something he'd clearly lost. As it stands, I've come to believe so. I've yet to find a warrior who has died with a smile on his face. Concernedly, she stares at the elephant. I'd like to prove you wrong, then, Hare. He pauses for a moment, and Uchikino Usagi stares at the mountain of a man before her. We shall reserve that for a later time, I suppose. It seems we shall be going our separate ways. The hare turned to look at the road's branching path, one presumably the direction the elephant desired to traverse, and the other for the hare to travel. Until we meet again? Uchikino says stone-faced to the smiling man, who turns the reins of his horse. She continued forward, watching as the towering figure disappeared in the forest adjacent to her road. She couldn't rely on another Ronin to unprecedentedly be a savior anymore. She wouldn't have a second chance like that. Mastering the bayonet was the key to her survival in close combat situations, and she'd have to make her techniques. Her other officers had inquired about adding a similar modification but currently it was a detriment to those already versed in at least some kenjutsu. Until she was certain of three combat techniques at minimum, she would not allow any of her men to arm themselves with bayonets. Developing such techniques would take time only available to her after making camp at dusk. Jikina knew splitting her time between forging martial art, yet unknown in Japan, and guiding the general operation of the camp was untenable. A second-in-command would need to be chosen. She recalled one of her men's names, which had a good reputation and track record in our army. He was devoutly loyal to her, considering that they had both come from her father's smithy. At the very least, from what she'd seen, his combat prowess left something to be desired, though. Oyama, up front! The soldier rides to the front of the formation beside the hare. A talisman dangled from his rifle stock. The riding it bore unreadable to her as it swayed with the horse's movements. Uchikina, you asked for me? Oyama's hair was shaved completely in solidarity for a friend he'd lost a few battles back, after which he covered his head in a cloth. I'd like you to be my second-in-command, acting as head of this unit during the nights and should I ever get sick. She tried to gaze his reaction and see how he took this particular bit of news. Seeing as she didn't pay much mind to him outside of the basics needed to direct him, oddly enough, he seemed quite excited to take on this position. You'd... you'd allow me such an honor? Of course, Oyama. You are the only one I would trust working along with me in that position. She lies to him, not telling him that he was one of the only soldiers whose name she could very sparsely recall. After all, you worked alongside my father. We have that in common as warriors in arms. An insincere smile sends him into an overjoyed state. While it was true that they worked together under her father, he was only an apprentice. What do my duties entail? He was blankly and openly awaiting her orders, like a dog eagerly awaiting its master's command. She found it both disturbing and reassuring as far as his loyalty was concerned. To Yama, she told her plan and 
what was to happen during that night when they make their camp. He understood immediately, taking the task upon himself to manage the troops when they made camp. The hare also decided to let him choose two officers to assist his work. Uchikina assured herself that this was something that the elephant and the other samurai had done long ago. She was new to being a leader, however. She was ignorant of the measures necessary to lead properly. It would take time before she was at the same level as him, and after one of the ronin killed the dragon, she'd be able to grow even stronger. So night fell and the warband made their way to the centermost of the Echu province, a day away from entering Kaga. The men set up their tents in sequence, with those who were to stand guard waking the tent next to theirs when their shift was done. Under Uchikina's orders, they had erected her tent first and foremost, giving her time to start working on her new martial art. Again, the hare starts by jumping around like a rabbit. She holds the bayonet low and begins taking sweeps as if she was cutting the back of an opponent's leg. This method was to be the first of her techniques on how to strike her enemies down. Then to follow up as a lunging thrust or an angled slash could follow as well. These techniques were to be the foundation of her new fighting style, but her mind couldn't help but wonder how to incorporate the firing of the weapon into the art later. But she'd think of this more whenever she had proper time to develop them. Perhaps going for a thrust before firing the weapon or using a strike from the bayonet as a distraction than drawing her matchlock pistols. Time was all she needed, and maybe she could hone the techniques to their fullest potential. After an hour or two, she developed a few techniques, though. They would need to be proven in battle. She was drenched head to toe in sweat when she was done, and seeing as she intended to enter Kaga rested and alert, she would need to retire soon. Exiting her tent, Ujikin observed her men hard at work, eating and drinking the meals they'd made. Since nothing was engulfed in flames, it was safe to assume that Ayama had done his job managing the camp. The minimal division of labor allowed her to act as she wanted, and tonight she desired to bathe. She slipped past her soldiers into the forest, making her way to the babbling brook not too far inside the forest. On the northernmost part of the brook, there was a small basin in which the water had collected into a pool. Taking a dip in the cool water was refreshing and washed off the sweat quickly. The charcoal soap made for an excellent scouring device, which helped elevate the feeling of cleanliness. The only thing that was uncomfortable about bathing here was the cold air that surrounded her. After all, fall was upon Japan's hole, and soon winter would coat the provinces in a thick veneer blanket of snow. Maybe she would find a way to turn the weather to her advantage against the dragon, striking him while vulnerable. While lost in thought, however, the bushes behind Uchikina rustled quite loudly. Timidly, she tipped low in the water and hid behind a large rock on the bank, waiting to see what stepped into the moonlight. Unsurprisingly, the sound had came from one of her men stripped down to a cloth. In the darkness, she was unable to make out which, if she even knew of her soldiers, had slipped into the marginally still water. Slowly, she goes to exit the pool and retrieve her tenugoi, watching her heavily shadowed soldier. She made sure she wasn't seen by the man by keeping her ripples as shallow as possible, yet the sound of trying to quickly exit the pool of water stood out sharply in the otherwise silent night. 
He turned around in a moment, catching the hair bare, letting out a gasp before sharply turning away. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Yusagi-sensei. He, to his own surprise, manages to get out while hiding his embarrassment. It takes a moment, but Uchikina soon recognizes the voice to her own surprise. You're the scout from when I met the elephant, aren't you? Uchikina covers herself with her towel before taking a seat at the shore of the pool. The soldier makes sure he doesn't turn towards his leader. Yes, Yusagi-sensei. I am Sonjinya, by the way. I apologize. Had I known that you were bathing here, I wouldn't have come. I hadn't told anyone I was coming here. It's not your fault. It's rather cold, don't you think, for bathing outdoors? Uchikina found his timidness quite interesting as he washed slowly, making sure the moonlight illuminated nothing in particular. It was a ritual my father practiced to celebrate the coming of fall. We'd bathe outdoors in the cold before warming up near the fire to prevent us from getting sick during the winter. He was pleasantly surprised to hear her laugh, though it was hushed. Did it work? Now thoroughly dried, she slipped on the yogi she'd brought along, sitting further from the basin shore. Often enough that it was a ritual. My father swore by it so, and it became a habit of mine as well. Why are you here then? Bathing? I suppose that makes sense. If you do not mind me asking, why are we traveling to the Kaga province? His tone went from conjuring memories to a stern one, who's concerned about the state of the army. She made sure that Oyama was the only one to know of her plans to meet the deer, but she could make an exception. We're to meet a samurai I had met as a child. He's classically trained, and his army is said to be twice the size of our own. If I'm to believe the rumors, he's in Kaga. More than likely, he stands to fight against the Emperor. Saying out loud, she realized the entire plan hinged on the rumors of the deer's location being true. The idea it could be a fairly quickly turned into the half-dreamt plan into a bitter nightmare. Perhaps the elephant was right in assuming that no one would be in the Kaga province, and she'd have to fight the Emperor alone. I hope he joins us. We could use more assistance. Yusagi-sensei, we will avenge your father and your husband. I'll do my best to assure that future. He was solemn, as the insects quietly called out and the two sat thinking of what they'd lost. Good night, Zone. Uchikina abruptly stands up, exiting the forest, slipping silently back into her tent. Her heart stung with thoughts of her father and memories of her husband. He had been gone for two years, but he still felt close to her. She hugged the broken parts of a rifle, which bore her father's signature. Until she killed the man who had taken her life from her, she would be unrelenting in the pursuit of him. That night, her sleep was restless, filled with a nightmare all too familiar to her. Screams echoed from the prisoners who refused to defect and suffered at the hands of shadowy soldiers. The sights of the battlefield had become familiar to the point that navigating them was like living in a second home, though they offered very little comfort. This time, however, as she explored the dreamscape, she managed to shake herself awake just before her father and husband committed sabuku for failing to protect their home. Sweat beaded down her face as she realized that her lack of knowledge as a leader, and often working under the orders of another, had readily hurt her. 
breathing heavily as she grasped her chest, taking a moment to realize she'd escaped the reality of the dream. Her eyes glanced at the broken stock of her Tanigashima, realizing that she'd need to have a brand copied onto a new one. The smell of dew on the grass was what first greeted her when she came to her senses. She quickly changed into her uniform and, setting the broken Tanigashima over her shoulder, ventured out of her tent. As per usual, the cooks had awoken much earlier than the troops to prepare their breakfast. Uchikina took from the cooks a bowl of rice, bread, and beans. Dining at the impromptu tables allowed her time to clear her mind of the dreams setting them aside. She then gave a brief prayer before indulging herself in a meal. A body then sits next to her. Oyama. Did you sleep well, Uchikina? I slept well enough. You did quite well in managing the camp. Today we'll be moving to Kaga, and you'll do just about the same thing outside the city. Of course. He took orders well, and the men had the tents packed and supplies loaded not two hours after breakfast was finished. Once on their way to the Kaga province, however, an unsettling sight caught their eye. Lines of peasants were walking the roads, and the hare dictated that any traveling the same direction as the army were to be provided a spot on an ox cart and plied with questions. All of them spoke of one of the emperor's generals who had raised their homes. The locust. Apparently upon his arrival in their village he made some demands, and when they informed the locust that they were incapable of fulfilling his request, he seemed to take the news with an almost jovial revelation. It wasn't more than an hour after they had denied his request that his men had swarmed the village's streets, slaughtering those who roamed about. After they massacred individuals outside of their homes, he set fires to their buildings. The few who had escaped were now roaming the roads to find new homes in various provinces. The locust was apparently making his way to Kaga, and those who were traveling to said town sought to loot the remnants after his attack. Hearing this, the hare had ordered her fastest rioters to hurry and bring the deer word if the locust hadn't reached him already. The unit only consisted of ten soldiers, including Sohn, with very limited ammunition and supplies. Should they arrive late, it might have been the end of the deer. Rice fields outside the city limits indicated their proximity thoroughly abandoned, of course by their farmers. The buildings showed no signs of fire or raised carnage. It seemed rather strange, considering that it was apparent that the Locust was trying to take on the Emperor's task of making all samurai submit under his rule. Yet, as Uchikina rode to the city gates, she peered upon the deer, who stood covered in blood. In one hand he held his signature scythe, and in the other, the head of whoever had challenged him. His eyes focused on the hare, looking at her, as if she was an enemy. Again, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we've got more coming up, and I've been working with a phenomenal group of voice actors for this, and looking forward to seeing what we do next after we'll after part three, and then just continuing on. And again, thank you for listening to part two. Hope you guys enjoyed. <laughs>